Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Rather, there's a narration from the Prophet regarding when gatherings like this take place. There's three types of people. One is those who come forward, like you guys have done. One is those who leave. And the third are those who at least come and sit at the back. So regarding all three different things have been mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet So those who come and join because they come to the mercy of Allah, Allah takes them in their mercy. Those who leave that, of course, there's nothing for them. And the ones who come and even sit at the back, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala includes them as well. So inshallah, let's be from at least one of, one of the two, inshallah. May Allah give us the tawfiq. Jazakumullahu khayran. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem. Amma ba'ad. Alhamdulillah, we are so fortunate, so blessed that Ramadan is upon us. We are through one-third of Ramadan already, alhamdulillah. And mashallah, mashallah, mashallah. What can we say? You're all fasting. This is a huge thing in the sight of Allah. To be a fasting person, do you know how, how valuable you are in Allah's sight? What does Allah say about you? Because you're fasting. Just fasting. Don't, no, we're not talking about fasting and praying. We're not talking about fasting and reading Quran. We're not talking about fasting and dua. No, just fasting. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has said that Allah says that the fasting person is so beloved to me that even the order that comes out from the mouth of a fasting person when you stay hungry because the stomach is empty from the emptiness of the stomach it creates a smell and that as the day goes by it becomes stronger to us in the world it's repulsive but Allah says to me it's so beautiful it's so fragrant even more fragrant than the best musk. Just imagine how beloved you are as a fasting person in the sight of Allah. And then Allah says, for this fasting person, all the arrangements Allah's making for you, just because you're a fasting person, you've agreed to do what Allah wants you to do. So Allah has made all these arrangements, like all the gates of Jannah are open for you. The gates of Jahannam have been closed for you. Allah has locked away the shayateen for you. And at every point, Allah has sent down angels. And the only reason these special angels are everywhere now is because they're waiting for you to make any dua. As soon as you make any dua, they will say, Ameen, Ameen, Ameen. That's their only job. Just to say Ameen to the duas of the fasting people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has taken it upon him to personally reward you for this fast. Every other good deed, it's got in the normal system. You do one good deed, it's multiplied by 10. Or then in Ramadan, it's multiplied by 70. Illa sawm. Allah says, not fasting. Why? Fasting is just for me. What's very beautiful is what Allah says here. Yada'u ta'amahu wa sharabahu wa shahwatahu Allah says the person, meaning you, Allah's talking about you. You leave your food, your drink, and your desires. Allah says, just for me. You can't show off in fasting. 
You can't. In other, good, in other deeds, you can't, can't you? Any, any other deed, you can't show off. You can have something personal in there. Whether it's Quran, whether it's Tawaf, whether it's Sadaqah, any good deed, there's an element of other people seeing it. Even if you start with a good intention, it could become a bit corrupt. You could have like a 70-30, 70% for Allah, 30% for other people. Or for example, even 90-10, right? It, anything can happen there. But in fasting, you can't do that. Because fasting is like, where is it? Where, where's the fast? Where is the fast? Where is the fast? Like, have you thought about it? Where is it? Exactly, but where, where, where is it? Can you show me? You can't show me? Are you guys fasting? Are you really fasting? How do I know? Prove it. Prove it to me. Come on, prove it. So who's going to have a sip of water? Prove it to me. Are you fasting? Can you see this? There's not, what, where, where is the fast? This is very, very, very unique. There is no other action that's like this. Sorry, someone was saying something. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an intention, isn't it? It's, it? You can't really see it. Because fasting is al-imsak, which is to stay away. And if you're staying away from something, you can't really see that. And that's why it's so unique. And Allah speaks about it in a very special way. We don't see Him speaking about any other act in this way. And we don't want our fast to become just a routine like everything else becomes a routine and by this stage like we spoke about in Jummah when you come to this part of Ramadan it starts becoming a bit type of a routine so we have to keep telling ourselves and reminding ourselves and again I'm going to mention what I spoke about in Jummah is if the people of the grave were to be asked to make one wish that's it just one wish what would they wish for they would wish for one day of Ramadan just one day of Ramadan the people of the grave will be told, make one wish. What would they say? What, what, what would they say? Yawman min Ramadan. One day of Ramadan. That's it. Why? Because when you go into the Qabr, and we can see all of these things, what we just mentioned now, when a person goes into the Qabr and they will see your Salah has been multiplied, Dhikr multiplied, Quran multiplied, Sadaqah multiplied, Umrah, Hajj multiplied, all of these good deeds have been multiplied. And your fast will be just there, like sitting all alone, no multiplied. And a person will think, what about this? Multiply this as well. And what, what will you be told? Allah will say to you, no, no, no. That won't be, we're not going to multiply that. So then, that the angels will not give you, we can't count, you can't count the reward of it. Because who's going to give? This is going to be left until Yawmul Qiyamah. And on the day of judgment, Allah says, Fasting was done only for me. I will give the reward for it. Some muhaddithin, scholars of hadith have said that the variation and the dhabt is slightly different in some narrations. 
Fasting is for me and I am the reward of fasting. Imagine that. And that is means the ridwan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah's pleasure. What can be greater than the pleasure of Allah? And this is why for fasting people, there's a special gate in Jannah called, what's it called? Arrayyan. But Arrayyan is going to be for those people who are fasting, not just in Ramadan. The idea here is that we enjoy the fast in Ramadan so much that we make an intention from now that after Ramadan, we're going to try and keep optional fasts. And yeah, it's not so easy out of Ramadan, but the rewards again are great there as well. Because you've got three days of every month and you can keep any three days. It doesn't have to be 13, 14, 15. The hadith mentions whoever fasts for three days every month. So it could be any three days. Of course, it's better to fast 13, 14, 15. But to get the reward, because if you fast three days every month, do you know what's going to happen? When you fast out of Ramadan, you fast three days every month. Each deed is multiplied by 10. So if you fast three days every month, how many days is that equal to? 30. So by doing so, you'll get the reward of fasting for your whole life. Because every month you fasted three days, so by the end of the year, you fasted for the whole year. And this is Siyamul uh, Dahar now. You get the reward of fasting for your whole life. And each fast Allah makes between you and Jahannam, the distance between the heavens and the earth. Each time you keep a fast. And this is Nafal fast as well. Not just a, the Fard, there, is, there are no words. There are no words to describe the reward of a Fard action. Words cannot describe when we speak about rewards, normally this reward is for nafal. Normally when you hear about rewards, they are rewards for nafal actions. Fard cannot be described because the value and the reward of this is too high. Too high. I'll give you an example. The Prophet ﷺ, it's a month of charity as well and giving. May Allah accept everyone's donations. So the Prophet ﷺ was speaking about donations and giving so he said he asked a question to the sahaba and he would do this very often he said okay somebody gives a sadaqa uh, in the path of allah to a fakir or miskin so you've given up one pound to the miskin another person gives one pound uh, to a yatim an orphan Another person gives a pound, fi maybe someone's going in jihad or some other great cause that's happening. So you've given that pound. Or number four, a person spends one pound on his family. Right? So the spending, one is on a miskin, one is on a yatim, one is on fi one is on the ahl, on the family. Which one is the best? Which one do you get the most reward for from all four? So normally, we think yatim. What else? Fakir. Fi sabirillah. This is what we would think. The Prophet ﷺ responded by saying, as Bilal just said now, that he said that the most rewarding pound that you will spend is the one you spend on your family. You might think, hang on a second. Really? Yes. Yes. Why? And this used to play on my mind for a long time. I used to think, how come? 
Like we're encouraged to spend in the path of Allah. We're encouraged to give to the yateen. And we should. It doesn't mean we shouldn't. And also, but spending on your family or even yourself or your family, especially over here it says. Why? Because spending on your family is fart. Spending on everything else is nafal. And the reward of fart is way beyond nafal. That's your obligation. That's your obligation to provide for your family, to spend on your family, to take care of your family, to look after your family, to be generous and kind towards them. And a lot of times we forget this. We're generous and kind to everybody else, which is optional. It's optional. No one's telling you to give this much or that much. It's up to you whether you give or not. You give, you'll get reward. If you don't give, that's up to you. But when it comes to your family, to provide for them, to take good care of them, to be nice to them, to have the best of akhlaq towards them more than everybody else. This is an obligation. And the Prophet ﷺ lived by this. The best of you are those who are best to your families. That means wife and children. And I am the best. He gives his own example. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk as well. It's easy, to, it's easy to talk. Like me, I'm talking. Right? It's very easy. Talk is easy. The, but actually putting it into practice, so he وسلم, said, خير, He didn't just say, oh, look, I'm telling you guys to do it. Go and do it. He said, no, no, look. You want to see an example? From amongst you people, I am the best person towards my family. Come and look at me in my house. You'll see. I am the best from amongst you towards my family. So, Coming back to what we were speaking about, the reward of fart is immense. And fart sometimes we, as humans, we kind of enjoy nafal actions more than the fart. Does that happen to anyone? Yeah, you're praying your own salah. Yeah, it's more buzzing. The lights are off and there's no one around you're doing the hajjud and you feel so much more connected and everything and in the fard you've got like some guy next to you there another guy here you're getting squashed in the middle and the imam's taking long or it's too fast for some people too long for some people uh, and you can't really concentrate and and you think you know if i could do this myself I'd be... but that's me and you that's how we think but that's not how allah sees this the reward of a fard you cannot compare. So enjoy the fara'id. Enjoy it wholeheartedly. Be in it present as much as you can because there is no comparison to a fart. There is no comparison. And the fara'id are, are there. They're very special. And this is why we, we should never... It's so easy for us to uh, make judgment on people, look down on people. Some people who only come for the fara'id, okay? Even if it's for Jumu'ah, it doesn't matter. That's between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't know how their connection is between that person and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know that story, the famous one, again, it's about Ramadan, where a person, a sahabi, he saw himself in a dream, he'd passed away. And then he was called in front of the court of Allah, and Jannah was there. And he saw two people, two brothers. One became a shaheed, one became a shaheed and the, his other brother passed away one year after him. And Allah was calling everybody to Jannah. So the person who passed away one year later, he got called to Jannah first. And the shaheed got called to Jannah after him. 
And then he came up and he tried to go into Jannah and the angel said, no, no, it's not your time yet. You go back to the world. You've got some more time to live. And he told the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, this is what I saw in the dream. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, He said, which part of this do you find surprising? Why are you so shocked? He says, this guy became a shaheed, a martyr, he gave his life. Why was he delayed entry into paradise? And before him, his brother who passed away, one year later, just a normal natural death. He didn't give his life. What did the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say? He said, didn't he pray one year extra salah than him? He's talking about the fard. One year of salah, where's that? Are you not going to account for that? Do you think that means nothing? Salah just because it's fard and we have to do it. Don't you think it has any value? Didn't he fast one extra month of Ramadan? This is what the Prophet ﷺ highlighted, that the fara'id are extremely important. And the nawafil, again, the reason we have the nafil is to fill the gaps in that are in the fara'id. That's the idea of the nafil. The main is fara'id. Fara'id is the main. Asal is the fara'id. Your salah, five times salah, your fast in Ramadan, giving up the zakat, and the hajj, and of course, of course our iman and our shahada that we have. The reason we have the nafal actions, we are told, because we're not perfect and we're human beings. And no human being, besides the prophets, of course, they were in the sight of Allah. They were complete. They were perfect. But other than that, every single human being, we have imperfections. We're not perfect. So when we do our salah, it's not going to be 100%. Our fast isn't going to be 100%. And our charity zakat is not going to be 100%. This is why we've been told, do your sunnah and nafal. Do these other salah as well. Why? Because on the day of judgment, if my salah, I prayed my salah and my salah. Oh, by the way, did you guys know that when you finish your salah every day, you actually get a grade for it? Out of 10. Seriously. I'm not making this stuff up. This is in the hadith. You get a mark out of 10 every day at the end of Salah. Everybody gets it. So now we've just done Fajr, right? We've just prayed Fajr. Fajr finished, you got a mark, you got graded for your Salah out of 10. Every single day this happens whenever you pray. Oh, if you don't pray, then obviously you're absent. Um, but every, and the Hadith actually mentions, some people get 10 out of 10, some nine out of 10, some eight out of 10. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Some get nothing because the salah was really bad. What grade did you get just now for Fajr? Have you ever asked yourself, what grade did you get? What was your mark out of 10 for this Fajr? Right? So if, if, if I don't know where I am now, I'm never going to be able to work towards where I need to get to. We know where we want to get to, but we don't know where we are. And this is so important. Self-awareness is so important. And this is what we speak about in these sessions. Um, Alhamdulillah, it's been going for 76 weeks. Alhamdulillah. And yes, we speak about Masjid Al-Aqsa. We have a lesson. But that, that's, that's secondary. We speak about that second. First, the first thing we speak about is self-discovery, self-awareness. Because if I don't know what you, what you can't measure, you can't manage. 
And this is why we're not moving forward. But Ramadan comes, it goes. We try, alhamdulillah, everyone makes an effort and everyone tries. But don't we want our efforts to be more meaningful, more productive? We want to like get somewhere, like climb the ladder, get to the next stage. And we're trying, we're doing a lot, mashallah. Everyone's putting their, you know, doing their bit and you're, you're, you're exerting yourself and this happens every year. But then Eid comes and then we kind of just go back to how we were in our comfort zone. How can we move forward? You can move forward when there's self-awareness, when you're doing it with intent and you're, you know what you're doing, not just going with it because everyone's doing it. And to do that, we have to first understand where am I now? Where am I? What's going on with me? Who am I? First of all, who are you? Who am I? What kind of person am I? How do I work? How do I work in the different circumstances, in different conditions? How do I think? So this is, this is imperative. So for example, we can start from here. What mark did you just get? And it's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Asking this question. Yeah, you want to kind of avoid it. But that's, it's not going to work. If we keep avoiding these important questions, because this is introspection, this is looking in now not looking out the solutions are not we're not going to find any solutions looking out no one's got a solution for you your solution is inside you inside look inside you don't you look and immediately after this allah says in the heavens is your risk and everything that you've been promised so it's linked very strongly linked so let's learn to look within. Ask yourself, this is not for anybody else, this is for me. What mark and grade did I just get for my Fajr? And as much as some of you are thinking, can you just get on with this, move on to the next thing? Because I don't want to give myself a mark. But we're not going to move on. Because this is, this is, when we take uncomfortable action, that's when we start seeing a change and a shift. What mark did you get? Ask yourself. Out of 10. What do you think? Six. Oh, do you have any tens in the room? Any tens in the room? Have we ever done a salah that's 10? So we're not there. We want to get to eight, nine, 10, don't we? And at the moment, where are we? We're in like the one, two, three, I would say. And we want to get there. If we don't have a starting point, we will not get to the end point. We have to have a starting point. We need to know where you are. You can't, a lot of times we say, I want to get to 10, I want to get to a nine. And then we just go for it. Now at the end, how can you measure now how far you've gone? Because it's not measured, you can't manage it. You don't know where to improve, what to do, what not to do. So we have to have a starting point. Where are you now on your journey? This Ramadan, we're on a journey. Every single one of us are on a journey. Where are you? Are we just doing the actions? Yes. I'm going to answer that for you. Right? Are we just doing the actions? Oh, it's Fajr time. Let's just go and pray Fajr. Oh, it's another fast. Let's keep the fast. Oh, I've got a bit of time. Let me just read some Quran. Oh, it's time to make dua. I'm just going to do dua. Oh, are we, we're on a journey. In a journey, you move forward. You don't have to stay in one place. It's like them kids had them cars, them, just the steering wheel, that's it. 
<laughs> that was for the kids when they were young. That's what we're doing really, aren't we? We've got this little steering wheel. And that's it, we're not moving forward. We're just steering. We have to move forward. The way we move forward, in, in, let's take the car example. The way you move forward in a car is you get your sat-nav, okay? You get your Google Maps or Waze or whatever it is, and you say where you want to go. You put your destination. What do you put in next? What do you put in next? Your location. You have to put your location in. Then it will give you a map from here to where you want to get to. We're missing the location out. We always miss. Without putting the location in, in your satnav, it will never give you a route. And every Ramadan and all our life, this is how we're leading it. That we've got destinations. We've got beautiful destinations. Exotic destinations we want to get to. So you have to look at where you are first and then start from there. So, what grade did you get? Ask. I ask myself, you ask yourself, what grade did you get? And ask yourself at the end of every single salah. And then we try and improve. If we don't ask, we won't improve. Because there's no, we're, not, we're, not, we're not measuring it. If you're not measuring it, you can't manage it. What are you comparing it to? So we want to try and improve, inshallah. May Allah give us the tawfiq and understanding. So, for those of you who are here for the first time in our Great Fajr campaign, um, what we've been speaking about on the similar lines is simply how human beings work. What you focus on, you feel. How you feel, you behave. This is the pattern. What you focus on, what you think about, that's how you feel. How you feel, that's how you behave and you act. So it's not just about changing the actions. It's about changing your thought process, your focus, your intention, all of these things matter. That will change the way we feel. The way we feel, that's how we will behave and that's how we will act. And we've been speaking about some unhealthy thinking patterns um, over the last so many weeks. Alhamdulillah, we've covered five. We're on number six. We've covered five, alhamdulillah, five different types of unhealthy thinking patterns. We spoke about them, we understood them, we tried to recognize where they happen in our lives. And not only are these bad for ourselves or the people around us, but we also start applying these unhealthy thoughts to Allah, which is not good for our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, I'm not going to go into them because you know, we don't have time to go into them. And last week, alhamdulillah, we started number six, the sixth unhealthy thinking pattern. What is it? Who can remind us? Magnification and minimization. Magnification and minimization. This is not about maths, by the way. Magnification, minimization. What does it mean? Who can remind us what it means? What does it mean? Magnification, minimization. Brilliant, mashallah. You've hit the nail on the head. Perfect. 
That's brilliant. So magnification is if there's a problem in your life with you or with your family or circumstances and you magnify it and you make it much more bigger than it is. Simple. Minimizing is any good that's in your life that's happening to you, in your work, in your family, your relationship with Allah. Any good, you minimize it. You either minimize it or then you don't give any credit to it at all. This is what basically magnification and minimization is. Why is that a bad thing? This leads to many more unhealthy thinking patterns as well. If we're going to see our, everybody has got problems in life, everybody, this is, this is how life is. But if we see them bigger than they are, this will lead us to places which are very dark and dangerous. We will not like people around us. We'll become very negative. So much so we will start saying things like, Allah doesn't like me. Allah doesn't listen to me. Allah is just angry with me. When a person starts thinking like this, will you pray more or will you pray less? You think, I'm already doomed. I've got so many problems. Everything always goes bad for me, which is not true. It's not always bad, but when you magnify, that's what you can see. So there's no point of me praying more. Let me just not pray. And that takes a person to a very dangerous place. And the person then breaks down. So this is why we need to uh, think about this. And when we're thinking, when we're minimizing any good that's in our life, when we're minimizing things good in our life, then that can lead us to a place of uh, self-sabotage. You could really like look down on your well, so Look, there's a, there's a fine line in Islam. We have being humble. Uh, not being arrogant, that's there in its place. We're not contradicting that whatsoever. We're speaking about totally ignoring good things that have happened to you in your life or things you've achieved. Remember last week we spoke, we gave some examples. One of them we said, uh, somebody feels that I've never achieved anything in life. Somebody feels like this, I've never achieved anything in life. You're looking around everybody else your age, so-and-so's over there, so-and-so's here, so-and-so's moved to this country, so-and-so's doing so well in their business, so-and-so's married with kids and children, so-and-so's bought their house, so-and-so's done this, and, and you feel, I haven't achieved anything in life. And if a person starts thinking like that, what are you, this is, this is where you're minimizing. You're minimizing the good in your life. And that will lead to a very dark and dangerous place. So what did we say? What do we need to do for this? We gave one uh, solution to this, how we can overcome this problem. Yeah, we said, get a paper and start writing. This is like self-endorsing now. Again, you're not bigging yourself up. We're not being arrogant here. We're just facing the reality and the truth. So we said, write down, have I, ha, is it possible for a human being to live for 30 years and not achieve anything? Is that true? That's not true. You can't have not achieved anything. And then we started seeing, okay, why am I thinking this? Which areas is this happening in? And you might see it's popping up in certain areas. And then you think, hang on a second. That's not true. I have achieved things, okay? I'm paying my bills on time. I'm earning a livelihood. I'm not behind on my rent, for example. Um, I. I take the kids to school, for example. 
or I'm looking after my elderly parents. There's so many things that you're doing and you're discounting them. You're minimizing it. And when you start looking and think, Alhamdulillah, and this is, and then we change these things into gratitude so it doesn't go into arrogance. This Quran says regarding the blessings of your Lord, you, you announce them out of gratitude. So you say, now you change it into Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, all Alhamdulillah. And then you come out of it thinking, hang on a second, I have achieved. Maybe I've not achieved what he's achieved, but I've achieved what I've been destined to achieve. I'm not on somebody else's journey. And every time I speak to someone, what I'm noticing is at the core of a lot of the issues that we're facing, most of the time we're trying to run our lives on somebody else's life. Most of the time. We might not even say it. We might not even know it. But when you dig really deep down, this is kind of what comes out. And the fear that's there is, I'm not where X, Y, and Z are. But that's not your path. That's not your journey. That's their journey. You, you stay on your road, your path. Your path is different to everybody else's. You, this is what happens when we start to compare. Some of us do it a lot. Some of us unconsciously do it. Because we think we're racing against other people. It's not a race. Your race is with yourself. And this is why, this is why you need to know where you are on the racetrack. Because your race is with yourself. You need to become better than you were. So I was here yesterday, I want to get here. Ahmad Bhai could be down there and I'm my whole life, if I'm trying to get to where he is, I might never get there because his path is going that way. My route's going this way. I'm never going to get there. So my whole life, I'm going to be depressed because I'm not where he is. But I'm not him and he's not me. His circumstances are very different to mine. And constantly we're doing this. So it's so important to know your own journey and to know where you are in your journey. Where am I now on the racetrack? This is why we started off with the Salah, like grade yourself and learn to do this with everything. It's about you and Allah, not about other people. Yes, we've got so many ahadith that speak about showing kindness, giving good akhlaq, you know, helping the community. That's all in its place. But you don't keep measuring yourself in other people's, through other people's lens. It's, 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 it's you and your journey. So, let's move on today, inshallah. So, as human beings, we tend to focus on what's lacking in our lives. This is very normal. We tend to focus on what's lacking, what's missing, what I don't have. We don't look at the things we have. We focus on what we don't have, what we're lacking. And we shift our focus to this. Now, there's a beautiful hadith. Look at this. You've heard this hadith, but maybe not from this lens. The Prophet ﷺ said, If the son of Adam, meaning the human being, was given one valley full of gold, a whole valley, imagine, you know what a valley is? Right? A whole valley full of gold. What will happen? We will wish for a second one. The Prophet ﷺ is saying, if you have got a full valley of gold, he's, he's explaining to us how human beings work. How do humans think? He's, that's what he's telling us in this hadith. If the son of Adam, not even just a Muslim, he said the son of Adam, meaning a human being, was given one valley of gold, 
You, you won't look at that valley of gold and say, oh wow, I've got a valley of gold. You look at the valley of gold that you don't have. And you'll want that. You'll want that valley of gold that you don't have. So if a son of Adam was given a valley of gold, he'll wish for a second one. So the Prophet wasallam says, uh, and then he says that nothing will fill the mouth except the dust of the grave. So it's so easy to look at what we don't have as opposed to what we do have. And this is why this uh, magnification minimization is very common. It's not just something that certain people have that are, you know, labeled as having a mental health disorder. These people will have. No, this is very, very common in everyone. Almost everyone has this unhealthy thinking pattern of magnifying problematic things and minimizing the good that's in our lives. We all have it to a certain degree. And this is why uh, this contributes to the discontentment that we have, the sadness that we have, and the feelings of frustration that we have. So let's do an exercise. Now, all of these things that we talk about, if we just listen, it won't do anything to you. Listening will not do nothing. It might increase your knowledge, but it won't actually do anything. You have to physically do the exercises, practically get involved and do what we're saying to make a difference. If we listen, we can listen to things for our whole life and not take any action, it won't do anything. We might know, actually it's, it'll be quite deceptive because you think you know what you're doing, but you're not. Because you're not doing what's required. But you think you know it, so that's okay. It's not okay, that's not how it works. See, if someone knows how to drive, if someone knows how to drive really, really well, but they just don't drive, right? You'll, you'll be like that kid on that thing, on that steering wheel, which it's, it's not gonna, you're not gonna move forward. But you know how, I know how to drive. I know everything. Will we get anywhere? No, it's not about knowing. It's about doing. Rather, rather, yesterday I was driving, uh, and there was a guy with two L plates in front of me and he's going extremely slow, extremely slow. In the beginning I thought, it's Ramadan, be patient, calm down, give this guy, you know, he's, he's a learner, uh, I'm, I'm just going to take it easy. But the guy, by the, by the second he was going slower and slower and then in the end I gave up for when it's clear I'm going to overtake this guy and then behind me I saw everybody else doing it as well. But at the end of the day, he, might, he doesn't know how to drive so well, but is he moving forward? Still moving forward, still getting somewhere. Eventually, he'll get to his destination. But a lot of us know very well how to drive. We've got all the knowledge, but we're not moving anywhere at all. Do you know why? Because we're not taking action. We're not doing what's required. So now, this is a practical point now, practical point. So this is not just about listening now. Now we have to put into practice what we've heard. And some of these practices and exercises might sound really weird to you. Okay, because you might not be used to doing that. Maybe in a masjid you've never heard of these things before being spoken about in a masjid. And you think, that's weird. That's a strange. Like talk about, you know, do some talim or something. We'll listen to that. Why are you speaking about these things? These are the things that will actually start making a change and a difference. Um... So, as an exercise, 
Try to imagine yourself wearing huge glasses, right? So imagine you're wearing these massive glasses. Now you can think, what color, what color are your huge glasses? How, how huge are they, right? So you're wearing these huge glasses. Think of what color they are, think how thick they are, think how funky they are, right? Let's leave it to your imagination. And the purpose of these glasses is to amplify all of the things that are problematic or lacking in your life. So when you put these glasses on, these are special glasses that are going to amplify everything that's lacking in your life. So for, for now, everyone now, what I want you to do is think of what do you think about that's missing in your life that you want or what's missing that or you see as a problem, right? And those are probably the things that play on your mind the most. Maybe you wake up in the morning and one of the first things you think about. Now, I want you to put these glasses on, right? Put them on, these huge glasses, and I want you to amplify and make these problems look even bigger. And how does it look now? Well, you're seeing these things much more bigger than they are. They're sticking out to you even more. You're noticing them more and more. It's different things for different people. For some people, it's maybe the messy house, right? Some people are very, they, they have to have everything organized in place. Is it something about your partner? Something that really annoys you about them? And you just wish, I wish this was fixed. Maybe it's, it's your workload, just can't get through with it. Maybe it's a situation of your health. It could be anything. Now, take off these glasses. So you take off these glasses, and now you wear another pair of glasses. So take off these glasses. These were the things that amplify the problems in your life. We've taken them off. Now you wear another pair of glasses, but these glasses allow you to see the good things in your life, the positives in your life the things that are going well. Put them on now. So you've put on these glasses and remember what, what's, what's the job of the, these glasses allow you to notice. And all I want you to do is while you're sitting here, start noticing the good things are in your life in regards to your health, in regards to what Allah has given you, in regards to your family, in regards to your work, in regards to your community in regards to everything that you've got, your Iman and your Islam, and start taking notice of the things that you have with these special glasses. It could be the sound of your children laughing. It could be the fridge that is full. It could be your wardrobe that's got so much in there. It could be your vehicle. It could be the fact that you're getting a salary coming in every single month. And we're not noticing these good things that are happening in our lives where a lot of people don't have this. There are so many people out there that wish to be you. There are so many people that would wish to be in your shoes. So many people. So sometimes just a little exercise like this, a visualization, can make a huge difference. I don't know if you're feeling a difference already we've not gone anywhere but if you took part in this you will already feel a difference now it's only been less than a minute 
didn't take that long. But when you take action, you can see and feel the difference. If we do this regularly, it's a very, it doesn't, no one even knows that you're doing it. Right? You guys didn't even move. You didn't even do the gestures of putting the glasses on or not. You just thought about it. Because that's where it happens, isn't it? What you focus on, what you think about, that's how you feel. How did you feel when you put the second pair of glasses on? How did that make you feel? Better? Better than? It's subjective, so we need to know where, where were we before and where are we now? Subhanallah. 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 That's brilliant. Do you know why? Because that leads on to the next part. Because when you wear those big glasses, which most of the time, most of the time we're wearing those huge glasses. Most of the time, those silly old glasses, the massive chunky ones, which I'm sure when you even thought about them, they looked horrible on you, right? Did you look in the mirror when you put them on? They don't look nice. Those are the ones we're wearing most of the time and they look absolutely hideous. And what happens is with those, even though they're so big, we can only see, like he said, one or two things. Because in reality, it's only a couple of things that are going wrong, right? And the example we give of this is when you've got a nice picture. Okay, forget the picture, just your face. Let's talk about your face now. Imagine your face. If you zoom in onto your face and you carry on zooming in and you zoom in, right? You've done this, I'm sure you've done this on a picture or a passport picture, right? You just zoom in, zoom in, you're trying to be a bit funny or something or you're bored and you're just playing with it and you zoom in all the way and then you all the way and what happens? You come to one part of the face. Can you see the face anymore? What a mess, it looks as distorted. And maybe you've gone to a place where there's a pimple or a spot and it's just magnified that one area of the face. This is what we're doing with life. And when we zoom out, what happens? What do we see? Do you notice that spot or pimple? No. You see the whole face, mashallah, mashallah. Okay, you see. So exactly in life as well, this is the comparison we have. Those first glasses, they will just only let you focus on one or two things. Now, if most of my thoughts and focus is on one or two things, which are not going so well, how am I going to feel? Most of the time, I'll be miserable. Most of the time, I will be upset. Most of the time, I will be depressed. And that's how then we'll project that onto other people. We'll think that about Allah as well. However, if we take these huge glasses off, and where the ones that allow us to see the multitude of good that will even though even though we might be going through a tough time but our focus will not be the one or two things that are not going so well our focus will be the multitude of things that are going right that will make us feel privileged alhamdulillah because that's the truth isn't it even when we're going through difficulties we're still privileged we have so many privileges Alhamdulillah. So this is how it works. So we'll stick to this inshallah um, and we'll continue from here next week uh, speaking about the pixel and the actual picture itself. May Allah give us a topic. But you've got something to work on now. You've got these hideous glasses to take away with you and then you've got the nice ones as well.
So you choose now which pair to wear. It's your choice. Whenever you're thinking like this, just take those huge glasses off. It's so powerful. It is so powerful. It's silly. It's very silly, but it's very powerful. And Allah is inviting us to do this again and again in the Quran, to change our perspective, to see things for what they really are. Uh, may Allah give us a tawfiq. Okay, what lesson number 76 did we say? 76. Okay, so today's question is, how revolutionary events in Palestine changed the course of history? Now today's discussion is going to be a bit different to what we've been speaking about up until now. Up until now, we've been discussing the importance uh, and the status of Palestine, Aqsa, Baytul Maqdis in the light of the Quran and the Sunnah. That's what we've spoken about. The virtues and Alhamdulillah, 75 lessons we've had. So we've tried to go through as much as we can. That's not exhaustive, Alhamdulillah. I'm sure there's so much more, but we've gone through a lot over 75 lesson there's so much we've discussed in terms of virtues significance history uh, relevance from the sunnah in just about aqsa baytul maqdis palestine alhamdulillah today we're going to speak about something different we're not going to speak about uh, from the quran and the sunnah we're not going to speak about its islamic significance we're going to speak about something different which it's important is also important so that people realize that the benefits that we are receiving from those lands of Barakah is not just based on the Sharia and Islamic. It's more than that and beyond that as well. And that is a fact that is overlooked by most Muslims, that there are certain unparalleled events that took place in Palestine that changed the shape and the direction of the entire Muslim world. Three events we're going to touch on only. Three events I'm going to just briefly go over to show us that these three significant events change the course and the direction of the whole Muslim world, not just that particular land. And it changed the whole course of history um, and changed the status of the Ummah from a period of bleak, bleakness and darkness to moments of glory and victory. Number one, the first revolutionary event. After Islam reached from China to France, and also including areas within Europe as well, Islam had spread far and wide. Um, a problem that crept in into the Muslim Ummah is between the Muslims, different states, people wanted power. So they started hating each other. So much so that some Muslims even took help from the enemies to overpower their opponents. And this is where our weakness lies. And this is something that actually led to the Crusaders. The Crusaders becoming so strong is because they took the advantage of the Muslims. We know this many times we've discussed it. 88 years they occupied Baytul Maqdis, no Salah, no Adan. 70,000 Muslims were killed inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. And the Crusaders themselves, they write that the bodies of the Muslims were knee high. And we were going through this. Now, why we are mentioning this, this wasn't just something that was affecting Palestine. The whole Muslim Ummah at that time became weak. And it was a sad period because not only were they carrying out massacres here, it was in other places as well, where Muslim countries were around the world. They were killing and looting and going there. 
What happened? Who came? Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullahi marched from Damascus and then he engaged in a decisive battle. Where was this battle? Anybody knows where the battle was? Where did the battle take place between Salahuddin and the Crusaders? Anybody know the name of the place? Hittin. Hittin. Remember this word. Hittin. The battle of Hittin. Hittin is where the battle took place. And where is Hittin is by the uh, Lake Tiberias. Tabariya. We've heard of Tabariya. The Tiberias Lake. Northern Palestine. So we're talking about Northern Palestine where the Tiberias Lake is. There was a place called Hittin. And this is where the decisive battle takes place between Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah and the Crusaders. And what happened? He gave them a crushing defeat. This changed not just Palestine, this changed the whole Muslim world. So this is the event number one. Event number one that changed the face of the Muslim world was this decisive battle in Hittin by Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah number one. And Muslims got glory. Second event, revolutionary event. This is at the beginning of the seventh century. Again, there were two influential forces, superpowers. One was the Muslims, the others were the Crusaders. So the Crusaders were very strong, Muslims were very strong. Now, the political situation amongst the Muslims started to weaken. At that time, you had the Abbasid Caliphate in Iraq, in Egypt, in Syria, in Hijaz, was ruled by the Abbasids. And Yemen was under the rule of the Ayyubids at that time. And Morocco, Andalusia, meaning Spain, uh, India, Western Persia, Iran, Anatolia, meaning Turkey, that was also being ruled by Muslims as well. The Crusaders control areas of Europe, Armenia, etc. So you've got Muslims having large amounts of lands. And then the Crusaders had Europe and Armenia and other places around that region. A new force emerged. Who can tell me who they were? Hmm? Not Persians. No, this is the enemy. They became so powerful, it was close, they could have conquered the whole world. Mongols. Mongols. We hear about the Mongols. The Mongols, the Tatars, the Mongols, under the leadership of Genghis Khan, they were so brutal. We hear in the stories, in the books, the way they would come. And Muslims came to such a weak point then that they were so petrified. If a Mongol came to you, a Tatar came to you and met you and said, wait here, I'm going inside my house to get my sword. Don't move. The person would be so petrified that they wouldn't move. And the Mongol would go inside his tent. He would bring his sword and chop his head off whilst the guy just stays there without, having, without running. This is the fear that they instilled within the Muslims and within the world. And it was close that they would have conquered the whole of the world. They were just going from city to city. So Genghis Khan, within a short, very short period of time, their kingdom extended to include large areas of China, uh, Mongolia, Vietnam, Korea, Cambodia, Thailand, parts of Syria as well. And they were distinguished by uh, just massacres. They wouldn't look at this is a man, this is a woman, this is elderly, this is a young person, this is oppressed, oppressor. They had no rules, no charter, no covenant, no agreement with anyone, nothing whatsoever. And they overthrew the Abbasid Caliphate, Baghdad. We hear about Baghdad, what happened? Baghdad was the center of Islam. 
totally just destroyed it. Time doesn't go into us discussing. It was unprecedented. More than a million people were killed. They just went killing and killing and killing and killing. And then they infiltrated into Aleppo, to Damascus. And then they occupied Nablus, they occupied Gaza and Palestine and Iraq, Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, until they got to the Egyptian borders. So they were just going crazily from city to city to city to city. And at that time, despite the very difficult economic situation for the Muslim world, because the Mongols have taken over everything, um, one of the most famous scholars was Iz ibn Abdi Salam. And he, with Saifuddin Qutuz, they fought very bravely, the Mongol army, in a place called Ain Jalut. Now remember this place now, Ain Jalut. Ain Jalut is named after Jalut. We've heard Jalut. Ain means spring. You know, that story we always speak about. That when Talut and Shamil salam was with the army of the Bani Israel and they're going to fight Jalut. And they said that in Allah, there's going to be a river. From so they call this place Ain Jalut. Ain Jalut again is in northern Palestine, in the north. So we've got two places Hittin. Hittin actually doesn't exist on the map anymore because in 1948, when the Israeli occupation was established, at that time they wiped the whole village away. They wiped it out. There's, there's no, they, they just killed everybody that was there and they wiped the village out. So if you type Hittin, you won't actually see it. Yeah, on an old map, you'll find it. Maybe on Wikipedia, it'll give you a bit of information. But if you try to look at the map and see where's Hittin, you won't see it. But it's near the Lake Tiber, so north of northern Palestine. Ain Jalut, again, is not as north as that, but it's, 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 it's further up. So again, a second place. That, so it was there where they fought with uh, they fought with this particular with the Mongols there, and it was in the 25th of Ramadan. Something happened in Ramadan. 25th of Ramadan, when Allah gave victory to this Muslim army against the Mongols, and this is actually what led to the defeat of the Mongols. So much so that you don't hear of the Mongols anymore. The Mongols were a huge. So where did Allah end it? Or oh, the decline of the Mongol Empire started again from Palestine. So the Ummah owes it to Palestine, not just for its Islamic significance. That's already there. Number one, defeating the Crusaders. Number two, defeating the Mongols. It happened in Palestine. And the third event we're going to speak about is about the French politicians trying to occupy Egypt. Um, so they took advantage of the Ottoman Empire. Ottoman Empire became very weak, as we know, towards the end. We've heard of Napoleon. So Napoleon, he was very fierce uh, in his war against Italy. And then he was funded by the Zionist millionaire uh, Rothschild, who funded him and they paid all the debts of France to, again, to help his campaign to try and overpower Egypt, 1798. And the idea was, again, from then, to establish a homeland for the Jews in Palestine. This is going back way before the Zionists started their plan, way before that as well. And at that time, we find that a uh, war took place between the Muslims 
who were the Mamluks at the time. Mamluks are Egyptians, by the way, under French occupation in Cairo. Uh, and then after that, Napoleon started going towards Palestine. And he took control of a lot of Syria. And he tried to occupy Gaza, Yaffa. And they carried out massacres. They executed 4,000 prisoners that they held captive. And then they took the city of Haifa as well. Uh, Napoleon continued with a guy called Kleber, who was the commander of the army. And they came to the Palestinian coast. And the Palestinian coast, again, we're talking about northern Palestine. This is an area of Palestine is normally ignored. We speak about Jerusalem and we speak about uh, Bethlehem and Hebron and Al-Khalil and Al-Hazza, which are more down. This is now northern Palestine. So we spoke about Hittin, we spoke about Ain Jalut. This is the third place now, again in the north, on the coast of Palestine. The uh, Arabic name for it is Akka. In, in English, it's called Acre, A-C-R-E, Acre. You can, you'll find that on the map. So Acre, Akka, this is where they arrived. And the governor of that particular place was a man called Ahmad Pasha Al-Jazzar. Ahmad Pasha Al-Jazzar. So they tried to oust him. However, he started uh, an attack against Napoleon and he defended the city. And during that time, uh, they were able to, uh, there was a siege for 62 days. And Alhamdulillah, they were able to defeat Napoleon's army. And Napoleon was not able to capture uh, Ahmad al-Jazzar, nor was he able to capture Akka. And that is when he said in his famous statement that I buried my dreams under the walls of Acre. I buried my dreams under the wall of Acre. So again, a third revolutionary decisive moment, not just for Palestine, but for the whole Muslim world, which took place there. Uh, and so these are three great moments. So this week's campaign is very simple, very easy. What I want you to do is locate these three places on the map. So when you go back home, locate these three places on the map so you can begin to familiarize yourself with the revolutionary victories Allah granted the entire Muslim Ummah in the land of Palestine. So Palestine owes you, or you owe, sorry, should I say, you owe Palestine not just for the immense barakah that is there, but even these great victories that took place, three places you're going to look for. One is Hittin, number two is Ain Jalut, and number three, Akka, which is called Acre. Uh, Ain Jalut, you will find. It's got another name now with G. Uh, Akka and Acre, you will find. Hittin is not on the map anymore, but it's very in those areas towards the north of Palestine. You'll be able to locate it. May Allah give us a tawfiq, inshallah. Let's do some dhikr and conclude with dua. There will be time for Ishraq, inshallah. May Allah accept everyone's recitation. It's the month of the Quran. We want to try and read as much Quran as possible throughout the month. So far, what we've read, may Allah accept. Again, we're at a time. You might have been reading lots of Quran up until now, and a time comes where you kind of think, okay, I'm going to slow down a bit now. But Ramadan is about the first 10 days you do, and then the next 10 days be upper level. We're trying, not so much, try and increase and then the last 10 days come this is how it's meant to go not the other way around may Allah give us the tawfiq okay so just before we make dhikr and uh, we're just waiting for everyone to hand the Quran over uh, I'm just going to tell you what's happening this week in Palestine so mashallah Masjid al-Aqsa has been very busy and active with lots of worshippers, local and 
international as well. Many people have come and visited there and they're praying. So the current situation is such that the Israeli occupation have banned i'tikaf in Masjid al-Aqsa. And they've said that Muslims can only make i'tikaf on Friday night and Saturday night on the last 10 days of Ramadan, but not on any of the other days. Why? The reason is this coming Wednesday, this coming Wednesday is Passover. It's a Jewish festival of Passover, one of the most significant festivals uh, for them. And there are three festivals in the Jewish calendar which they connect with a pilgrimage to the Temple Mount. And they make sure that in large numbers they will go inside and they will carry out their Talmudic rituals. And the sad reality is everything that happens in synagogue life is happening in Masjid al-Aqsa already. Everything, everything that happens in a synagogue is already happening in Masjid al-Aqsa almost every day. The blowing of the shofar home, conducting marriages, uh, the, 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 the rabbis that carry out the blessings of the Barakatul uh, Kahan, what do you call it? The, um, you know when a child reaches the age of uh, maturity? The bar, bar mitzvah basically, that's how everyone knows about bar mitzvahs now through the movies, uh, what they are. But basically those, that's done under a rabbi. I mean, we don't have it in that sense in Islam, but like it's like getting baptized basically in, in a sense. So that is happening in Aqsa. Their marriages are being conducted in Al-Aqsa. They are doing, they are carrying their uh, religious items at the other festivals of taking uh, wheat and barley and taking stones from there and stealing uh, parts of the trees. And all these things are already happening inside Al-Aqsa. And the one thing that they haven't been able to do, and they try doing it every single year, is on the Passover, is to take the animal, the little sheep inside, the little lamb, inside Al-Aqsa and to slaughter it there. And they've been trying to do this every single year. And this year, it's going to happen on Wednesday. This one is the coming 5th of April, and this is why they are trying to ban the i'tikaf in Masjid al-Aqsa. The first night of Ramadan, Muslims try to do i'tikaf and stay over in the night. Because if there's a large number of Muslims present, they wouldn't be able to carry out these things. Uh, and that's how we used to see in the, in the past. They would come in, but they would come in and scurry out. But now because Muslims are banned, are restricted, so much thing on local Palestinians I'm talking about they're able to do all of these things on the eastern side of Al-Aqsa first night they didn't let anyone stay second night Palestinians forced their way in and they said we're gonna stay and alhamdulillah um, about 10 Palestinians managed to make etikaf on the second night and then the third day uh, I think that reached to about a hundred or more than a hundred um, so more than 100 people made atikaf and then the following day the occupation came in and kicked, forced everybody out. They said go to any other masjid, small masjids, but you can't make atikaf in Masjid al-Aqsa. Whereas Allah mentions Masjid al-Aqsa and Masjid al-Haram. And the hadith that says, La rihal, The idea of the hadith, do not undertake a journey except to three masjids. What does it mean? Do not undertake a journey. Do not undertake a journey expecting higher rewards for your salah and atikaf. So the main function of these masjids, especially Masjid al-Haram, Masjid al-Nabwi, Masjid al-Aqsa, like some scholars were of the opinion 
because of this, some scholars, not, not general, it's not the general opinion, some scholars were of the opinion, i'tikaf is only allowed in these three masjids because of this hadith. That's how deep this hadith is. Of course, we know that it's allowed everywhere. That's the opinion of the mainstream scholars. But some scholars, based on this, because that's the actual, what it's trying to say, that you cannot travel to any masjid with the intention of getting more reward for two things, for your salah and i'tikaf. So i'tikaf is a main feature of Masjidul Aqsa. And it can be done any time of the year. And in Ramadan, it can be any time of Ramadan, not just last 10 days. So they tried doing it, but they all got kicked out. And then they weren't allowed for the following day as well, and the following day. Last night, Alhamdulillah, what they did, so then they, then they made an announcement that you're allowed to do it Friday and Saturday night only. Now, why Friday? Friday night because on Jummah, there's no incursion into, the, into Aqsa. There's no Zionist incursion. Saturday is their Sabbath, so they don't come in. So basically, what they're trying to do is let's share this place out. Some for you, some for us. That's, that's, this is what it's called. And we're seeing it practically now. So, okay, you have these days, we'll have these days. That's what the idea is. So Muslims are thinking, hang on. So yesterday was Saturday. So Saturday's ended now. So what they did was they decided, because they have an incursion on Sunday morning, which is probably happening now. So Allah knows best what's going to happen. Because last night, mashallah, a good group of Palestinians uh, decided to make i'tikaf, even though the occupation said it's banned. And what they did was they went into the Musallah Qibli, the prayer hall, and they locked the doors from inside. And this is not something, so they locked the doors in from inside. Now the occupation, the soldiers, the police came, they were banging, 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 banging on the doors. They were screaming from outside. They, inside, they were just praying tahajjud. They didn't respond. They didn't throw anything. They didn't liaise with them. They just carried on praying. And eventually, the soldiers, they went. So Alhamdulillah, successfully, they managed to make the atikaf without any hindrance. May Allah give them steadfastness. We don't know what's going to happen today because the whole idea of why they don't want them there is not just for today, mainly it's for Wednesday. It's for Wednesday. Because, and they've made an announcement. They've made an announcement that anybody who is able to take this animal inside Aqsa and sacrifice it, what's the reward? $25,000 shekels. 25000 How much does that equal to? Hmm? How many pounds is that? Okay, between six and seven thousand pounds prize award for anybody. And if somebody is carrying the animal hidden, you know they've got they're dressed, they've got lots of clothing. And the last year so many people got caught going into Aqsa. They said, oh, what's this? And they were hiding. Uh, a little a little lamb inside so if anybody gets caught in the street even they will get a prize they'll get a monetary reward if somebody gets caught in the old city they get more if somebody gets caught at the gate of Al-Aqsa trying to go in they get more if somebody manages to take it in and they get arrested they, they can't slaughter it but they just get arrested they will be given a, a prize a monetary prize and if somebody actually is able to do the sacrifice they will get the highest prize so now and this is, this is being done openly to violate the sanctity of Masjidul Aqsa. Like I said, every other thing you can imagine that happens in a synagogue is already happening there. And this is like the, 
This is like the pinnacle of it. This is something they've not been able to do, and this is why there is so much pressure on preventing the Muslims making atikaf. And every year you're seeing Ramadan, there's always something happening during Ramadan. So, for, why am I mentioning this? The reason I'm saying this is this week, whenever you raise your hands to make dua, don't forget Masjid Al Aqsa and the Palestinians. And this is your masjid, it's your responsibility, it's your duty. Nobody else is talking about this, nobody else is doing anything. You can make a difference. You are making a difference. Dua is very powerful. Dua can change your destiny. That's how powerful dua is. It's the weapon of the believer. And the hadith says that there's nothing that can change destiny except dua. That's powerful. Dua is powerful. Um, because you know when you make dua, it's not about you. It's about Allah. We make dua looking at ourselves. So we don't ask for too much. Because we're making dua thinking about ourselves. But in dua, there's no need to be shy. There's no limits. When Allah hasn't limited you, why are you putting limitations upon yourself? Allah's not limited you and said you can only ask for this much. So look at who's giving. And that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we pray to Allah for their steadfastness. Allah gives them the ability to continue resisting. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts an end to this illegal occupation. Uh, we'll make some dhikr and dua, and then it'll be time for ishraq as well. Recite the Rusulif Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. لا إله إلا الله 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 إلا الله لا إله إلا الله Subhanallah, 
الله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله 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 العظيم استغفر الله 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 الله والله 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 لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين وإلهكم إله واحد لا إله إلا الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم لا أحصي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله رضينا بالله ربا وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم رسولا ونبيا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لك الحمد ولا نعمة الإيمان ولك الحمد ولا نعمة الإسلام ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإذ لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين رب اغفر وارحم ما تجاوز ما تعلم إن 
انك انت الاعز الاكرم رب اغفر وارحم انت خير الراحمين اللهم انك عفو تحب العفو فاعف عنا او كايند اند لافينج الله او موست مرسفول الله او موست فورغيفينج الله والله ان ذيس بليسد مانث اوف رمضان يو هاف الاود اس تو فاست والله وي ثانك يو والله وي ثانك يو والله ات از يور بليسنج والله والله ات از يور غريس والله ات از يور فيفر ابون اس والله وي ونت ديزيرفينج اوف ذيس مانث والله يو غرانتيد اس والله وي ثانك يو والله والله وي ار انديتيد تو يو والله والله غرانتيز يور فورغيفنس والله ذيس ار ذا دايز اوف فورغيفنس والله غرانتيز يور مغفره والله والله يو لاف تو فورغيف والله غرانتيز يور فورغيفنس والله غرانتيز يور مغفره والله wipe away all our sins oh allah help us to stay away from your disobedience oh allah grant us the strength and the power oh allah this strength only comes from you oh allah la hawla wa la quwwata illa bik oh allah only you can give the strength oh allah we ask from you oh allah for this strength oh allah to carry out good deeds oh allah and to stay away from your disobedience oh allah grant us a life of halal oh allah help us to abstain from haram oh allah oh allah help us to live a life according to how you want oh allah grant us good character oh Allah grant us a truthful tongue oh Allah grant us ears that always listen out for good oh Allah oh Allah grant us a heart that is always grateful to you oh Allah grant us a body that undergoes uh, undergoes sacrifices for your cause oh Allah grant us afia and good health oh Allah oh Allah always keep us with afia oh Allah grant us afia in everything we do oh Allah grant us baraka in our lives oh Allah grant us baraka in our livelihood and in our rizq oh Allah grant us baraka in our homes oh Allah grant us baraka in our children and in our marriages oh allah grant us baraka everywhere we go oh allah allah fill our lives with baraka oh allah allah you become pleased with us oh allah accept our fasting oh allah accept our tarawih oh allah accept our recitation of the quran oh allah allah help us to continue after ramadan oh allah make us yours oh allah you become ours oh allah allah help the ummah oh allah sustain and protect the ummah oh allah in particular we beg you oh allah allah look after the palestinians oh allah oh allah Allah help them to continue fighting for the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa O oh Allah protect the sanctity of Masjid Al-Aqsa O oh Allah protect the honor of Masjid Al-Aqsa O oh Allah Allah protect those who protect Masjid Al-Aqsa O oh Allah allow them to continue resisting the occupation O oh Allah reward them for their ribat O oh Allah reward them for their ribat O oh Allah give them istiqama O oh Allah O oh Allah give them reward them in the best of ways O oh Allah for carrying out this huge duty O oh Allah it was my job O oh Allah it was our responsibility O oh Allah to protect these symbols of islam oh allah they're carrying out these on behalf of the ummah oh allah you sustain them look after them oh allah in particular on wednesday oh allah make the operation fail oh allah do not allow them to continue and carry out their rituals in the masjid oh allah purify the masjid from these rituals oh allah purify the masjid from these rituals oh allah purify the masjid from these rituals oh allah and allow the muslims to continue making i'tikaf and salah and visiting oh allah for your sake oh allah make it easy for them oh allah help and protect the ummah oh allah look after and take care of our parents oh allah a time will come when we also have to leave the world oh allah make the our last day our best day oh allah make our final action our best action oh allah and help us to leave while we're reciting la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah oh allah make this a reality for us oh allah make this a reality for us oh allah make this a reality oh for us oh allah help us to leave the world while in sujood oh allah while reciting the quran 
subhanahu wa Allah, whilst in the haramain of Allah, whilst being pleased with you and you are pleased with us of Allah, whilst our lives are in, in accordance with the sunnah of your Habib sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of you many good things, we ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evil, we seek your protection from the same. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen alhamdulillah.